1: Psalm 112, the first verses we're going to look at is going to be in Psalm 112. Tonight, we're going over in our series of The Last Day Survival Guide, what to do when you get your feelings hurt. What do you do when somebody violates you in a way that obviously either was intentional or not, and now your feelings get involved and you get your feelings hurt? I think we're going to start off with a powerful statement at the very top of the page to explain something significant about how we as believers should live to begin with. And it's that statement right there, uh, uh, right above point number one. Always remember, always remember that you are the steward. Think about that. You are the steward over your own feelings. Underline it. You are the steward over your own feelings. So if I'm the steward over my own feelings... And my feelings get hurt. Why is that? Because I allowed my feelings to get hurt. Because you're the steward over your own feelings. Someone else may be the one who violated you, but, underline it, you are the one who took offense to it. You're the one who took offense to it. So, anybody been in this church any length of time, ever heard me talk about offense... I've said it for years and years and years. Offense is not given. Offense is taken. Now, people might try to offend you. But what if I don't take it? You know, it's like if somebody tried to give you something you really didn't want. They might try to give something to you. But you could reject it and say, no, I don't want it. Well, guess what? People could even intentionally try to offend you. But guess what you can do? You can reject it. You can reject to obviously not uh, get offended by what somebody said or what somebody did. And how many you know when you're allowing offense to come, you got to realize that you are allowing the flesh, part of you, to in some way rule, and therefore you're not being a good steward over your feelings. You have feelings. God does too. And understand that clearly we see God's emotions in the Bible, but you got to realize that I can't let those feelings rule me. Amen? So, number one on your notes there, a good man has a, underline it, steadfast heart. A steadfast heart. A heart that is steadfast or clearly, in the context of what steadfast means, grounded and therefore not easily moved. If you have a steadfast heart, you you surely should not be uh, obviously ruled by your emotions and feelings. Psalm 112, verse 5-7. Verse 5, a good man deals graciously and lends. A good man. What's a good man? Somebody who deals graciously. What do they do? They deal with people and things graciously, and they're even willing to lend. Notice this. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Think about that. He'll guide his affairs with discretion. That even relates to, again, how people treat him. He'll use discretion when it comes to things that people do to them, so that they don't allow their feelings to obviously rule them. Yeah. They're going to live with discretion. Surely, verse 6, he will never be shaken. Wow, you ought to underline that. Yeah. He will never be, never be shaken. A good man, one who does that which is good and right in the sight of God. So what's good and right in the sight of God when it comes to your feelings? Not letting them rule you. Right. Yeah. Not, not allowing yourself to take offense and get all offended by what everybody said. Jesus didn't. Are you still here? Yeah. Jesus didn't get offended. Realize like we talked about in relationship to this morning's message. I mean, you know, this is going to be an important message we're going to get into on Sundays. That you can think like God thinks. And if you think like God thinks Jesus didn't get offended, He had all kinds of stuff said against him. Even directly, you know, attacks against him. So realize again, surely this person, verse 6, who is considered a good man, good person, they'll never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance He will not be afraid of evil tidings. What's tidings? What people say about you. The actual word there means even false offense. Or words spoken that aren't true. The phrase tidings there in the Hebrew means things that are spoken that aren't true. False offense. But notice again, this person who's doing what's good in the sight of God, they're not afraid of those things. They're not afraid of what people say about them. You listening? A lot of people say, well, I'm not afraid. We, we, in a sense, are maybe not fearful of that person, but the point is saying they don't even pay attention to it. They don't let it affect them. Right. So again, he will not even be afraid of evil tidings. Why? His heart is steadfast, under on this, please, trusting in the Lord. So this person who's a good person is trusting in who? The Lord. I'm trusting in God. Meaning what? So even if I've been wronged, Who's my vindicator? It's not me. See, if you allow your feelings to get hurt, guess what you're really kind of moving towards as an individual? You're moving towards wanting to get back at somebody. But you got to realize I'm not the vindicator. God is. If I'll do this the way God said, and they don't correct things that you know, get it right with God and get it right with whoever they've wronged, guess what? God's going to vindicate you. It don't happen always the very moment you want it to. You know, but the point is, we're not even looking for that vindication. We're looking to do what's right in the sight of God, which is to do what? Trust him. Trust him. So let's go back to these verses again. A good man again does what? He's going to deal graciously and lend. So graciously again means I'm going to be gracious with all people. I'm not going to be the one trying to give offense or even fight back if I've been offended. Because you shouldn't be. But you're also, therefore, going to be somebody who's willing to what? Willing to lend. Willing to help others, in other words. He guides his affairs with discretion. Meaning, if you you walk in the context of your affairs in this life with discretion, you're not letting your emotions rule you. You're not letting your flesh get out of hand. Because you're doing things with discretion. Amen? Again, surely, verse 6, he will not be shaken. Because clearly, if you're not shaken, then guess what you're not doing? You're not allowing your feelings to get hurt not allowing your feelings to rule you. He will not be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. If you're doing what's right in the sight of God, guess who's thinking of you? God is. God is to be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. I don't care. You got to get to this place where you don't care what people say about you. That's what that statement means. If I'm trusting in God, I don't care what anybody says about me. And I've had a lot of things said about me. But I don't care what other people, I, I used to, I mean, it bothered me very much so as a pastor even, because obviously even as a pastor, who doesn't want to be liked? Who, who doesn't want people to like you in the sense, in case of where most of the time, all you're trying to do is help somebody, trying to do something right by them to help them in some way, but they won't receive what you're trying to help them with. And so then they start saying all kinds of things about you. But realize, even in the context of what scripture says, again, even if it's false, don't worry about it. That's not between you and them. You're not the vindicator God is. That's between him and them. You're not going to give an account of what they're saying about you. You listening? You're not going to give an account about what they're saying about you. But here's what you are going to do. You're going to give an account of what you then say about them after you hear what they say about you. (laughs) You know, Roy Hicks, uh, you know, one of Pastor's spiritual dads, his, his wife one time, I'll never forget because, you know, Pastor Barclay would always be good about, you know, giving reference to who the quote came from. And obviously she didn't take credit for it. She said, I knew it was from God. But it's nice to at least acknowledge, you know, who you heard it from. And his wife, Margaret, used to have this saying. She said, you know, Mark, she, one time they were, he was with Dr. Hicks and, and Margaret, and, and she said, you know, Mark, it really doesn't matter what people say about you. What matters is what you actually think and or say about them after you've heard what they say about you. She went beyond the saying. She said, what really matters is what you think about them and say about them after you've heard what they've said about Not before, after you've heard what they've said about you. That's what really matters. Because the truth is, if you live life like this, guess what? It's so much more difficult for Satan to take advantage of your life. It's so much harder for him to do so. Amen? And we are not trying to put ourselves on a better pedestal than anybody else. No. We're just trying to walk out what Scripture teaches because then we're obviously not allowing the enemy to take advantage of our life as well as the advantage of others. So again, you'll not be afraid of evil tidings. Why? Because his heart is what again? His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So realize that who really matters about what they say about you is God. What does God say about you? And in relationship to what God says about you, he's not talking about your fleshy man, he's talking about your spirit man. So realize you got to know what God says about you according to Scripture. And if you know what God says about you, why do you care what anybody else says? Why do you care? Amen? 1A. Notice this, a good man will never be shaken. So if I'm not shaken, I'm not moved by what people say. I don't get my feelings hurt. I don't get all upset. And 1B, therefore you're not afraid of evil tidings or any other tidings for that matter. Not just evil things people say, but even, you know, context again, uh, anything that they would say about you. Because you know what? Flattery can be very dangerous as well. That's not evil tidings, but it can lead to that. A lot of times people will flatter you, just try to take advantage of you. You know, our pastor's taught us many, many, many times in many leadership meetings. He says, as a pastor, you got to realize this. We're not scoping out people in the congregation to say, okay, who's doing that? He said, but you got to be aware of this. You got to watch for people that have great influence with others. You got to watch, with pe- watch for uh, people that have a lot of money because they'll get the year of a lot of people in your church. And you got to watch for people that flatter you all the time. Because if they do, I've had people do it and I say, listen, I'm not, I tell you, I would tell you, I've told you with my pastor how grateful I am for my pastor, but you don't sit here and hear me just, you know, butter him up like, you know, like a biscuit, you know, hey, let's just butter up Pastor Barclay today, you know, I'm grateful for my pastor, but there's no reason to have to go through all that. And a lot of times there's an ulterior motive in that. So you got to be careful in relationship to even sometimes when people are trying to, you know, quote, unquote, say all kinds of great things about you. Nothing wrong with acknowledging people and what they do. All of us should. All of us should. Amen. All right. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. So what's the first thing we need to understand, Pastor? If we're doing what's good in the sight of God, we're trusting in God. And if we're trusting in God, then guess what? We're not going to get our feelings hurt. We are the steward of our feelings. Say, I am the steward of my feelings. You have them, but you're the steward over them. Well, if they wouldn't have said that, it doesn't matter what they say. You're the steward over your feelings. You're the one that can control what you do with those feelings when you hear what somebody says. All right. Uh, Psalm 34 19. 34, 19. You there? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So what that says is if you're going to, in the Old Testament, help me understand they couldn't actually be right like we are with God because there was no opportunity to be born again yet, made righteous, but they could live right with God. Abraham did, Isaac did, Jacob did, David did. They did what was right in the sight of God. So if you do what's right in the sight of God, now guess what? Guess what? You're going to be afflicted. People are going to say things. You would think if you're doing what's right in the sight of God, people would be grateful for you. But guess what? Not everybody will be. So he says again, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, I'd rather not live right than you're going to live what's wrong. And that ain't going to be good. Uh, New Testament puts it this way, right? The New Testament says that you, if you live according to the Word of God, the way Scripture teaches, you will be persecuted. For living a godly life, a godlike life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but here's what you got to remind yourself, and this is why you're trusting in the Lord. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Say, the Lord delivers me out of them all. So, now this is tough to do sometimes, because let me tell you why. If somebody says something about you to somebody else, you know what you want to do, right? Your feelings get hurt because they said something that was either a lie or something that wasn't true in the sense of obviously misleading, deceiving, whatever. You know it's not. They've told somebody else this, so you know what you want to do, right? If your feelings get hurt, what do you want to do? Vindicate yourself. You want to make sure this person understands that's not true. I've had one of the hardest things for me as a pastor to learn to do is to quit worrying about what anybody says about me individually, even to other people in my congregation. Now, if they start causing strife and division, we're dealing with you. Because the Bible says where strife and division is every evil work. That will not be tolerated. Biblically, I cannot tolerate it. But I'm talking about just a personal attack on me. Okay, this is hard to do. You have to say, you know what? The Lord will deliver me out of that affliction. So if he'll deliver me, guess what I'm going to do? Leave it alone. I'm not going to try to go to everybody they said something about me about. That wasn't true or was a lie. Now, again, there are certain things as it relates to a pastor in a church when it comes to causing harm to the body that you at times have to deal with. But we're talking about a personal attack against me, myself, personally, as far as them not liking me as a pastor or saying stuff that may not be true. I have to get to the place just like you to say, you know what? The Lord delivers me out of that. I don't deliver me. So if the Lord does, guess what I don't need to be trying to do? Deliver myself. So how, you deliver your, how do you try to deliver yourself? Try to go tell everybody what they're saying is not true. Nope. Leave it alone and say, you know what? God will deliver me out of those afflictions. I trust the Lord. Because otherwise, if you get involved with it, you know what's going to happen? Your feelings are going to get even more stirred up. And even further hurt. Why? You're talking about the thing they said. You're bringing it up. You're bringing it up again and again and again. This is key because we'll get to this. You're better off doing what when somebody says something wrong? Forgive and walk away. And if you forgive, guess what you do? It's like going into a courtroom and the judge says, you know what? I'll tell you what, man, you did wrong, but I release you. Get out of my courtroom. He's not calling you back. So you and I have to learn to do the same thing. Not so easy. I said not so easy. But a good man, guess what, has a steadfast heart because he's trusting in the Lord even meaning, I know the Lord will deliver me out of these afflictions. As, as long as what they're saying is not true, and I'm doing what's right, then I'm leaving that in God's hands. If I get a better amen. And I can assure you, every time I've tried to do it on my own and correct it on my own, guess what it actually did? It had a reverse effect. People started then actually questioning whether I really did something or not. Maybe, I don't mean like a specific accusation but like they're like, well why is pastor talking about this all the time? Maybe there is something going on. Maybe there, and honestly it tends to have a reverse effect. Let God handle it. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, I'm letting God handle it. Yeah. Number two on your notes, what should you do when you're afflicted? Run to the Lord. Run to the Lord. Release it to Him. Why? He'll deliver you from the affliction. Don't try to do it yourself. Psalm 119. Go ahead and Shake somebody next to you, say, "Easier said than done," but we can do it. Tell them, yeah. "We can do it." Psalm one nineteen. I know it's not always easy to do, but it's the right thing to do because you what you got to remind yourself this: if I'm going to let the Lord handle this, because I'm going to tell you right now, it 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 can be very painful if you allow these things to affect you, very very painful to you. But what's the pain part? It's not hurting your spirit, man. You know what's hurting? It's hurting your flesh. It's hurting your soulish man through your feelings. And you got to realize the more I learn to conquer this and not let it impact my life and allow my feelings to get hurt, the less I'm going to walk through such pain in my life. I am going to not be shaken by these things and therefore not be so affected and have to go through so much pain. Amen? Because I'll guarantee you could say, well, that pain is not self afflicted. They should not be saying what they're saying. Again, they shouldn't have said what they said about Jesus, but he didn't let it affect him. So you got to realize this. My God's bigger than all of this. Say it. My God's bigger than all of it. No matter what people say or do, God's bigger than all of it. So do it his way. And guess what? In the end, he'll deliver you just like he said. That's a great verse to stand on right there. That's Psalm one thirty-four nineteen. That's a great verse to stand on. My God will deliver me. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I've done nothing wrong here, but my Lord God, He is the one who will deliver me out of those afflictions. All right, Psalm 119, 165. Notice this. Great peace have those who love your law. Now, the word law here is not referring directly necessarily to the Old Testament law because the actual word means His teachings. If you look it up, it actually is the word for teachings. Notice, great peace have those who love what? Your teachings. So what's another way we could say that? Great peace are those who love your word. How do you get his teachings? Through his word. Watch this. And nothing causes them to stumble. You know what will cause you to stumble? Getting your feelings hurt. If you get your feelings hurt, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? It ain't going to be good stuff. It ain't going to be what you want to say. Well, you may want to say it the natural, but it's not what you... It's not going to be good for you to say it. It's go- Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And you can literally not even realize when you're doing it. You feel like you're vindicating yourself and you could be causing more harm than good in the long run and not even realizing it because you're speaking things that are hurtful and harmful to your life. Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble. So just stay in love with the word. Do what the word says. Walk this out the way the word says. Let God vindicate you. And I'll guarantee you, guess what you're going to walk in? Great peace. Great peace. Number three, nothing offends them who love the word. Underline it. Nothing offends them who love the word. If you love the word of God and you're full of the word of God, you are tough to offend. You are very difficult to offend. Because just think about the overall context of the Bible. You know, when you go from Genesis to Revelation, how many times do we say this? Read the end of the book. Why? What does the end of the book say? So if you know that, why would you ever get upset about stuff in life when you know in the end? Come on, somebody. In the end, we win. Some of us are, are so focused on this little life we have now right. that we think everything about life is what we have now. Oh, no, this is the shortest part of your existence and your being. And we should recognize it's so significant that I have the ability to take control of this short amount of time in my life the way God said through His Word. And in doing so, I'm not only going to help my, wife, my walk here, but I'm going to help my walk in the future as well. Because of obedience to God, I'm going to get rewarded for doing things that I know I should do in the sight of God. I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night. I really got it on my heart at some point. I may just interject it into this teaching. But it's not to scare you. It's not to make you feel bad. It's to wake you up. The Bible says every single person who's a believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. They will give an account of their life here on the planet since they've been born again in relationship to what we were to walk out. Now, nobody's done that perfect. But the Bible's clear. You're going to give an account. But guess who else is going to stand beside you? Your pastor is. Your pastor is. Bible decrees it. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, you got to understand that my shepherd, I am to make it easy for my pastor to shepherd me because he's going to give an account. And therefore, when Jesus calls my name, Daryl Baker, and I come to the front. Now, I'm going to be happy to be at that judgment. Because yes. there's two. This is the one you want to go to. Yes. <laughs> you listening? Yes. Tell somebody, this is the one you want to be at. There's two of them. This is the one you want to be at. Yes. So if I'm at this one, when he calls my name forward. Now, I've only had two pastors in my life. I was faithful to my first pastor until I was called into the ministry and now I have to walk in faithfulness to my second pastor, Dr. Barclay. But I'm telling you what's going to happen, Jeff Copenhaver and Dr. Mark Barclay are going to be called up at the same time. Yeah. And the Lord's going to ask because it says in the Bible, they will have to give an account for me under their stewardship. And he's going to ask Jeff Copenhaver, what was Daryl like to pastor? He already knows, but I'm going to ha- he's going to have to give an account and he is going to have to say, well, whether he, you know, he was rebellious, he didn't listen to me, he wouldn't apply what I taught. No, no. He's going to have to say, he can't, he can't lie, you know, lie to the Lord. Yeah. He's going to have to tell it. And then he's going to turn to Dr. Barclay and he's going to say, now, what about since he's been under your stewardship as a pastor under you as a pastor, how has he been to, how has he been to pastor? The Bible's clear about this. Absolutely clear. See, a lot of people think I'm man. This is like the cow looking at the Newgate expression. Some people are like, "That's in the Bible." Oh yeah, yeah. they must give an account. Imagine the people are going to have like fifty pastors. Oh my, god. You know, church to 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 church. Wow. They're all going to have to stand and give an account. So realize you and I got to know this and understand this. We as God's children have one person to give a life of account to, and that's God. So quit worrying about what people say about you here because you're not going to give an account to them. Do this the way God said, and therefore, if you love the word, you don't get offended by it because you're not going to give an account to them. They will give an account to the Lord for things they've said that were wrong that they should not have. And you're going to give an account for the fact that you responded biblically and did what was right in the sight of God. Any amens on that? Wow. Not many. Matthew 18. And I'm telling you, if you learn to live this way, you're going to live a whole lot better, more peaceful life. Because then people can't affect you so much by what they say and do. I mean, my gosh, come on, look at social media. People just lose it, man. I mean, absolutely lose it over one little statement somebody makes on social media about them. I don't care what people... I don't ever respond to people saying stuff. I, honestly, I, I can't even really think of a time that I've responded to something on social media somebody says about me personally. What I do respond to is when they counter the Word of God and the Word is black and white about something. When I've stated something biblically black and white and they say, oh, I don't agree with that and this is why, da, da 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 I say, okay, I understand, but guess what? That's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. I'm not teaching theory, I'm not sharing theory. I'm talking about stuff that's black and white. And I have leadership over me, and they watch what I do, and they know that I've been taught the Word of God. So I'm just telling you right now, this isn't like you trying to come against somebody who knows nothing about what they're talking about, about Scripture. I am submitted. I do have leadership. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what that verse means. If you don't want to accept it, that's fine. There is nothing wrong. Why cannot Christians have a simple conversation How about their understanding of Scripture? Why does it always have to be a fight to prove that I'm right? And I'm not trying to prove myself right. I'm trying to say, you don't need to be stating this on my statement to mislead people into thinking something that's not true. It ain't about me being right. It's about what does the Bible say? That should be the goal of any discussion about a verse. Let's make sure we come to a place of agreement that we, if we can, to say that is what the Bible says. Not approaching, at, uh, approaching it as, I'm right, you're wrong, and let me prove it Prove it to you. Uh, i guarantee you that's a personal thing and you shouldn't go there. Amen? We should give a defense for the gospel, the Bible says. We should be able to defend Scripture biblically about based on what we know it says. Matthew 18, Matthew 18, you've got to learn to instantly forgive people. You're going to live with offense in your life if you don't learn to instantly forgive. So, What do you mean instantly forgive? Let me help you. Day after day after day after day after day in this this current life, almost, for most of you, you're going to have to be forgiving somebody. Almost daily. And you better do it instantly because the more you put it off, the worse it is for you. Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to him, Jesus. He said, Lord, how often, how often shall my brother sin against me And I forgive him. Up to seven times? Peter thought he was being pretty generous. Seriously, he wouldn't have said it had he not. Up to seven times, like just seven times. Up to seven times? Should I just forgive him up to and after that I can clobber him, man. I mean after that I can I can say all kinds of you know nasty things about them, because after seven times I don't have to forgive anymore. You know, Peter was the kind of the rough, really you know, he was a fisherman. You know, just soon beat you up, then look at you, right? Kind of thing. Verse 22, Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So let's see all you mathematicians in here. This is not really hard. How many times is that? Oh, so I can get to 490 and then at 491, I don't have to forgive anymore. Praise God. Now I can punch and hit. No, no. I guarantee you, I believe it's Mark's account. Mark's or Luke's. I think it's Mark's account. This is in one day. It's not 400. To, don't you're not keeping a record. Okay, there's one. Oh, there's two. Oh, there's 200. There's 201. Come on, we're going to get to 490 here pretty soon. Now, this is in one day. I've said it for years. If now listen carefully, understand this statement. If you have any friends that offend you more than 490 times in a day, you probably need some new friends. Oh yes. Man. I mean Literally, if I had a friend or I'm hanging around somebody that offended me more than 490 times in a day, I probably should hang out with somebody else. (laughs) But Jesus said, you got to do this in relationship. In other words, not saying the number, the exact number is the issue. Guess what? You got to keep forgiving. And that's when he goes into this parable. Powerful parable. I've taught on it. Been a while. Not a lot of people like to teach on this parable in church. 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, it's like this certain... Now, he's right, coming right off of this question about how many times should I forgive. Right. So, he's not done talking about it yet. Right. Therefore, goes back to what he was just talking about, about how many times you need to forgive. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is, uh, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, listen, in in the day in which this was spoken in their lifetime, in an average lifetime, most people could have never paid that back. The figure of 10,000 talents, most could have never done it, never paid it back. Notice this, because this is a parable, so it's not an actual account of something that happened. Just a way of teaching truth here that he's trying to get across to him. 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he would be sold, because they could back then. You literally could. His master commanded he be sold and his wife and his children even, and all that he had, and that payment be made. Now, obviously, it wouldn't equal up to that amount, but he'd just get out of him what he could. Twenty-six. The servant, therefore, did what? He fell before him, before his master. Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now, the reason that's such a powerful statement is because, guess what? Again, with that amount, it wasn't possible. It wasn't possible in their day to raise that much money, even in a lifetime, for most people to pay him back. But he's sitting here saying, if you'll give me some time, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find a way to repay you. 27, the master of that servant was moved with what? Compassion. Underlined, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion and he released him. And he did what? What did he do? He forgave him the debt. But that servant then went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, not 10,000 talents, 100 denarii, easily payable, actually in about a year's time, if you were just making payments on it, you could probably pay it back easily in most people's context of what they made of their income of that day. About a year, you could have paid it back. So this guy who just got forgiven of 10,000 talents that there's no way he could pay back, he goes and gets a guy that's one of his servants that owed him 100 denarii, and now he's demanding that he pay. Notice this. Again, uh, verse 28, that servant went out, found his fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. He laid hands on him. He took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he could have. He could have done it. Now notice this, verse 30. Stupid. Say stupid. Listen to the power of the parable. Listen to this. He would not. He would not give him what? What would he not? He didn't, he didn't say forgive me. Did he say forgive me of the debt? He didn't say that. He didn't say release me of the debt. What did he say? Give me some time. Just give me some time and I'll pay you back. And he wouldn't do it. Because, again, you could have anybody sold back then that owed you money. Notice what he did, though. He said he would not do it. He went and he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Watch it. He threw him into prison. He's trying to hold him in bondage for what he owed to him. And you got to understand this. How is the guy going to pay you back in prison? He's not. He can't work. There's no way he can pay you back what he owes. Say, not possible. That's what I meant by stupid error. That's a stupid thing to do to not obviously release him and give him opportunity because otherwise there's no way he could repay you anyway. 31, so when his fellow servants servant saw what had been done, this guy who had this other guy imprisoned, the people that knew him, the one that was forgiven of 10,000, they run back to his master. When his fellow servants saw what had been done, 31, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master, which was his as well, all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Let me help you. If you don't forgive people, don't, don't get mad. Don't throw nothing at your pastor tonight. If you, if you don't forgive people, you know what God looks at you as? A wicked servant. Yes. Now that doesn't mean as a spirit being. He's saying you're allowing evil. You understand? Because he's not saying you as spirit being are wicked. You're allowing evil to rule you. You're doing something that in the eyes of God is wicked. It's evil. It's not good. 33. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers. Excuse me. He delivered this guy to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. Oh my. And so you may not like it; it's in the Bible. <laughs> so my heavenly Father also will do to you if uh, to, each, to do to you if each of you from his heart, from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Amen. Told you it don't get preached on a lot in church today. How right. <laughs> I many you know Jesus didn't lie? I said, I mean, you know, Jesus didn't lie. You got to understand something, folks. I like something this co- comic uh, said about the Bible. He said, we need to look at the Bible similar to like a, you know, a layout of our life in relationship to our finances and stuff, you know. We want to be in the black, but when you get in the red, you better really pay attention and start doing what it says. Pretty good statement. So understand this. Jesus said, if you don't release people... Your heavenly father cannot release you. Wait a minute. What did it say that he actually did in the context of this story? He released that person to the torturers to be tormented. Is God going to torment you? No. Here's what God's saying. You won't forgive. I cannot forgive you. And therefore you have now literally, not me, you've turned yourself over to Satan to torture you. Because as long as you have unforgiveness in your heart, guess what you're doing? You're torturing yourself. You need to understand that. You need to understand, as many times as we taught it, you still need to understand it. Because this is why you need to instantly forgive from the heart, not your head. But realize to hold on to any wrong that somebody's done is not going to hurt them. See, you think you're locking them up. You think you're locking them up, but you're really not. You're the one that's going to be tortured. They don't know that you're going daily through this, racking yourself with pain of affliction because your feelings have got hurt. You're mad. You're upset about what somebody did wrong. Though it may be, guess what? If you don't instantly forgive, the Father says, guess what? I can't forgive you, meaning I can't release you from the torturers. And therefore, you're going to torture yourself. You're going to give Satan the opportunity to ransack your life. I wish we saw unforgiveness as what it really is. To be in unforgiveness means I've given myself over to Satan to torture my life. Release yourself from the torture. Forgive. Yeah, but I still feel... Okay, so your feelings did get hurt in the relationship to what they did in the sense that you allowed it to hurt your feelings to some degree. But you know what? Those are never going to change until you forgive from your heart and say, I release them in love in Jesus' name. And who is my vindicator? God is. If it needs to be dealt with, guess who's going to be the one to deal with it? You know, you got to understand this. We should not be then wishing, okay, God, you go get them. Praise God. Yeah. Well, Okay, I have a question for you. How many of you have done stuff you shouldn't have done? Aren't you glad God didn't come get you? Aren't you glad? Don't you know somebody's prayed a prayer? I know they have for me. Somebody's prayed a prayer over you before. Go get them, God. Go ahead. Just go deal with them. I guarantee you somebody's prayed that prayer over me. I will promise you I've had some people probably pray that over me. But i got a word for you. You shouldn't be doing that over people because God ain't going to hear you, number one. See, the purpose isn't, all right, vindicate me, go get them, God. But if they're wrong and they don't correct things and make it right, and we should want them to. I said we should want them to. But if they don't, guess what? They're going to pay a dear price, folks. They're going to pay a dear price, sadly. They're going to pay a dear price. So you and I have to learn to do what? Forgive from the heart. How do we do that? I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you, really. It's very simple. You ready? Here's how you do it. You do it in love. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean in love? Not a love, not a feeling. See, we're talking about the love of God that's in your spirit. It's not a feeling. It's in your spirit. It'll affect your feelings, but it's not a feeling. Love's not a feeling. Come on. I'm hooked on a feeling. (laughs) That just came to me. Remember that song? That was Partridge Family, wasn't it? Who was it? B.J. Thomas. B.J. Thomas. B.J. Thomas. See, love is not a feeling. It will affect your feelings. Godly love. So you have to forgive from the heart, which means what? The same compassion that he talked about in that story that comes from the heart. Well, what is us forgiving in love mean, Pastor? You simply act upon what the Bible says. Because just like faith, love being a fruit of the spirit of the inner man is something you have to act on. You have to act on it. You just do it no matter how you feel. And you just choose with your own words. You got to declare with your own words, I release them. You don't have to say, well, I'm going to go tell them. They don't need to know. They don't need to know. They may not have even repented for what they did. It makes no difference. What makes a difference is whether you got to please see this. You're going to let the devil torture you for everybody you're unwilling to forgive. It ain't worth it. I said, it's not worth it. And I'm telling you, your flesh wants to get back. But you got to realize, I don't need to allow myself to be tortured here. So from my heart, what do I need to do? Quiet your head and from your heart say, Lord, with the compassion that's in me, because I know it's there, I choose. I choose love. I choose to do what the word of God says. And I genuinely release them. And I will not hold it against them. And I release them and I walk away and I say, this is no longer an issue for me. How many times in a day? Up to 490 times. All right, I'm keeping my record. Pastor, no, 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 no. You just do it all the time because the moment you stop forgiving, the moment you start allowing torture in your life. You understand the power of that? Number five, realize that people can't hurt you unless you let them. I don't know if I believe that. Oh, you better because it's an absolute. Jesus didn't allow people to hurt him. His feelings I'm talking about. Again, realize that people can't hurt you unless you do what? Unless you let them. 5a in verse 9, what do we need to be? We need to be what? Look at that, verse 9 of uh, chapter 5. Back up a little bit in that chapter, verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life maim rather than having two eyes. Uh, uh, whoa, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in the wrong place, man. Sorry? Five. Oh, yeah, I'm still on. I've already moved on to the next point, haven't I? <laughs> number four, point number four that we're on. Uh, Wait a minute. Point four, learn to instantly what? What are we talking about? Yeah. Learn to instantly forgive. 4A, For whatever it takes and no matter how many times it takes, 70 times 7 just means whatever it takes, you forgive. Amen? Amen? 4B, if you don't forgive, the Father cannot do what? and not forgive you. Now go to Matthew 5. Yes, yes. I allowed my eyes to wander ahead before I finished the previous point. Number five. Again, realize that people can't do what? They can't hurt you unless you let them. That's right. Matthew chapter 5. Look at this. Verse 9. Blessed are the... Blessed are the... What if you're not a peacemaker? You're not walking the blessing that God wants you to walk in. But blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You may be doing what's right and yet you're persecuted, but yours is the kingdom of heaven. Ultimately, guess what we have? Kingdom of heaven. 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. What should you do? Are you ready? Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Now, how many of you just made a confession at the start of this service? I'm a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. So what do I do when this happens? Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, 5a now, verse 9, you need to be what? A peacemaker. Does that mean that I can have peace with everybody? Nope. Some people just will not allow it. But guess what? It doesn't mean I can't walk in peace. I'm not going to continue to get in a position of argument and strife and division and fighting and all that kind of stuff. No. And that's why at some point in some cases, you may have to love them from a distance. You may have to. You may not have a choice because all they may want to do is fight and argue and cause problems all the time. And in that case, obviously, and I'm not talking about your spouse here, but I'm talking about the fact that you and I got to understand. If that's the case, you better start working on your marriage and deal with that. But I'm talking about just relationships with people. But my goal is to be what? A peacemaker. I'm going to do everything I can to walk in peace with other people. Can I get a better amen? 5B in verse 10, you're blessed when you're persecuted. Remember that. If you're persecuted, God said, God said, God said, you're blessed. See, verse 11, blessed are they even when they say all evil against you. Think about the next time somebody's saying evil things about you. You know what you ought to be saying to yourself? I'm being blessed. Go ahead, say it again. No, no, no. I'm talking about when the person's saying evil to you. Go ahead, say it again. Say it again. Thank you. You're just blessing me, man. Boy, are you blessing me. You're blessing me really good on Facebook today. Hallelujah. Just keep blessing me like that. The Bible said you're blessed when they say all evil against you. How many believe the Bible? Amen. I, I kind of like what Pastor Barclay said when he talked about the other ministers, you know, in the community. When he first got into Midland, Michigan, they were all saying all kinds of evil stuff about him, you know. And he actually was going to a meeting in the, uh, in the city, some kind of meeting going on or something. Here's this little circle of ministers, you know. Most of them don't know what he looks like. They're talking about him. And so he walks in the door, and they don't even know who he is, you know. He, he's kind, of, And he hears his name, you know. Well, that, that Mark Barclay preacher guy, so he stops, you know. He kind of backs up a little bit, and he kind of gets a little close to it. Boy, I mean, they're just tearing him up with one side, saying all kinds of stuff about him, you know. That obviously wasn't even true, right. you know. Oh, they, they throw demons around, do all kinds of all this stuff, da 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 And so after a while, he pokes his head in the circle, you know. And so they just keep on going on, going on, going on. Finally, one guy recognizes him, and he shuts up, and he looks at him. Everybody else gets quiet, and he goes, that's him. (laughs) And all of a sudden, they're all real silent and quiet, and he says, oh, you're doing good. Just keep on going, brothers, because you're blessing me. Just keep on blessing me. Go ahead. Just keep on blessing me. Love y'all, and walked away. I wish we could all do that. I said, I wish we could all do that. Listen, they were going throughout the community spreading all kinds of lies about him. And the Bible says, again, you're blessed when people do so. He said, man, they were, they were, they were giving me free advertisement. I could not pay for it. Amen. Because people then hearing all this stuff, you know what they're going to want to do? They're going to want to go find out, is it true? Yes. And they'd show up and find out it wasn't true. He would tell these people, you just keep spreading those rumors about Living Word Church and about me and my wife and my family and my church family. Just keep on doing it because you are the best advertisement I could get, better better than any billboard I could pay for, anything I could do to advertise our church. Just keep on doing it. Say, I'm blessed when they say evil against me. 5D, rejoice and do what? Be exceedingly glad. Be what? Not a little glad. 5E, your reward in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is great. It's great. All right, Matthew 7. Say, I'm a doer of the word. Come on, you're not just going to hear this message now and not be a doer. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own own eye? Or else, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. He says, first, remember, excuse me, first remove the the plank from your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, let me say something about this. This isn't talking about lifestyle. This isn't talking about looking at somebody's lifestyle. Let's say somebody's living in adultery. Is it wrong? Yes, absolutely. And in a case where if I had a friend and they're trying to entice that friend into this relationship, there's nothing wrong with me saying, hey, listen, they're an adulterer and they're trying to get you into adultery. Don't walk in there. That's not looking at a speck in their eye. Looking at a speck in their eye is talking about them personally. You are saying things about them, not what they're doing about the person. You're listening. You're labeling them. I'm getting really fed up with all the current labeling going on today. Narcissism is being thrown around everywhere. You're, you're violating that scripture. Don't label people. You don't know the heart of a man. Only the man God does. Don't label. You can say what they're doing is wrong, but to now label them? Let me tell you, the only person who has a right to put a label on somebody, ready? God does. Nobody else does. You don't have that right. Did God label people? Actually, Jesus did. Jesus told those who falsely preach the gospel, you're like whitewashed sepulchers. Because they were misleading people in the gospel. But again, he wasn't saying that to try to necessarily demean them. He just talking about the fact you're, you're preaching all kinds of stuff that ain't true. But he did kind of put a label on them. But guess what? He's God. You're not. Don't label people. I said don't label people. To do so, you're like looking at a speck in their eye when there's a plank in yours. Labelers tend to have a plank in their eye. And because they have a plank in their eye, they're not seeing that person as clearly as they should. And obviously, they that other person really probably only has a speck, and they got a plank, and they don't realize it. So don't do that. I said don't do it. Don't take this as judging somebody is looking at what they're doing and saying it's wrong. That's not judgment because you're not judging them. You're saying what they're doing is wrong. The Bible tells us judge all things, all things, not people. This is talking about judging a person. You're still here. If a person is doing something wrong, come on, if a, if a person is walking out what is clearly wrong according to the Bible in their life, and I say, that's wrong, am I judging them? No, I'm judging the thing they're doing. Right. Judge all things, not the person. This is the balance of judgment in the Bible. And it does not get taught well because most people talk about, if you say anything about anybody they're doing wrong, you're judging me. No, I'm not. I'm judging what you're doing is wrong and harmful to your life. I'm trying to help you. I'm not judging you. I'm saying that's going to hurt your life because the Bible said it would. Jesus had no problem telling people what they were doing was wrong. When the woman was caught in adultery, which one of those guys had to have slept with her or they're a window peeker, how, how could they catch her in adultery? Right? But he didn't even judge them for that. But when they, brought him, when they brought her, what did he say to her? He didn't judge her. Right? He said, I don't judge you to condemnation. But what did he say? Go and sin no more. So he was judging what she was doing as wrong. Don't keep doing this, darling, because this is going to hurt your life. That's how we're supposed to be. I'm not judging you to condemnation by labeling you in some way, but I'm telling you what you're doing is hurting your life. So the judging here is labeling. The easiest way to see it in our society today, don't label people. Don't put a label on them. They're this, they're that, they're this, they're that. You don't have the right to do that. You don't know their ultimate heart. You can't see that spirit on the inside of them. And by the way, if they're born again, the spirit on the inside of them, no matter how stupid they're acting on the outside, is still born again and a righteous child of God and part of the family of God. Like a little better amen than that. Amen. So number six, be careful not to judge others. And separate that from judging all things. You can discern. judgment's just discernment. This is why you can understand I can't judge you. You can't judge me. You can't label me. I can't label you. You know why? No one knows the heart of a man. Ready? No one discerns. No, I don't have the ability to discern your spirit. Oh, I've got the spirit of discernment. That don't mean you discern other people's spirits. Nobody has that ability except that, that individual knows their own heart. You know whether you know Jesus or not. You know whether you're walking in the context born again with God or not. You know that in your heart. So judge means to discern. Say discern. See, I can't discern your spirit. Bible said I can't. No one knows the heart of a man except the man himself. But I can discern what you're doing based on the Bible as wrong or right. See the difference? So don't judge people. Say it, don't judge people. How do you know when you're judging people? You're labeling them. Luke chapter 7. It's just amazing how, and it's not new, but I'm just saying it's like phrases go around and all of a sudden it just becomes the big thing. I know somebody that went to a counselor and a counselor in conversation with the person they were, the other person they were talking about. The other person wasn't even in the room. The other person's not even there. They're not even there. And this is, this is actually a person saying they are a Christian counselor. And they actually came to me and said, so I went to this person. They're telling me this person I'm talking about is a narcissist. I said, get as far from that person as you can. Now, I'm not talking about the person. They're talking, I'm talking about the gal that you, you're going to that says they're giving you Christian counseling. Make that clear. They're not a Christian counselor. Did they meet with them? No. Well, even if they did, they can't obviously discern their spirit because no one can discern the spirit of another person. Why are they labeling somebody they've never even met to begin with? Why are they doing that? Number two, really, in that case, you can't even say what they're doing is wrong. You know why? They're not there to defend themselves. And how many of you know? Of course, nobody ever goes to anybody else to talk about anybody else that's ever saying anything that they themselves are not doing as wrong because they're the self-righteous one. It's the other person's fault, other person's fault. Now we all make mistakes. And I'll get, that's why I do not counsel couples. If you come to me in a marriage situation to talk to me about your marriage, I am not going to go through all the what it was. Well, my, my husband or wife does this or that or this or that or this or that. I tell them to start with, number one, don't bring up stuff your, your spouse is or isn't doing because they're not here. And I'm hearing one side of the story. Now, if you want help to know how to be a better wife or better husband, I can teach you that because I'm helping you. I'm working with you. We can talk about you. But I guarantee you, I'm not going to sit here and talk about them, what they're doing or not doing. Why? Because they're not here. Amen. So how do I know? Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say I'm lying, Pastor. Well, let's not maybe go so far as to say <laughs> lying. But, of course, in situations where feelings are involved, nobody thinks they're wrong. Right. Say amen if you can. Amen. Or oh me if it's you. <laughs> Luke 7. <laughs> Luke 7, verse 47. Because these are things that help you not to let your feelings get hurt. If you're not judging an individual, label them. How can they hurt your feelings? Can I get a better amen? Amen. Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I say to you, uh, context of this is actually a woman who was caught in adultery, who had been forgiven of all of her past lifestyle, who was now honoring Jesus. Watch, verse 47. I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same what? loves little. That that verse used to bug me because it's like, so if I wasn't like some major sinner, I wouldn't love God as much as somebody who was. No, we were all major sinners. The problem is perception. Perception. Because by perception, a woman in the context of a society who's a prostitute seems far worse than somebody else who's not. Let me help you. You've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. Doesn't matter what you've done. So the point is, perception-wise, guess what? We all need to realize we were absolute, horribly blatant sinners in the eyes of God because we've all sinned. It's not based on actions. It's based on the heart that we had that was fallen nature. Amen? Number seven, he who's been forgiven much loves much. Meaning what? If I recognize I've been forgiven everything and don't think you were some good person before you came to Jesus and obviously didn't have a lot of sin. We all have. We all have. The Bible's clear. You violate one commandment, you violated them all. That's right. Scripture says that. How many of you ever heard, told a lie? If your hand's not up, I'm praying for liars. It, <laughs> if you told a lie, okay, that's one of the commandments. Jesus said if you violated one, you violated them. Oh. Well, guess what else is a commandment? You should not murder. That's right. Right. See, in the eyes of God, you got to quit looking at the act as, as, as something that makes you a worse sinner than somebody else. No, a sinner's a sinner. And the problem is a lot of times we don't see it that way. We need to realize, all this is saying is realize, take an evaluation of your own heart and say, you know what? It ain't about what what I've done. I was forgiven of everything of that sinful nature, the same as everybody else. Therefore, I need to walk in great love towards others. Amen? Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 13. Say, praise the Lord. All All that's referring to is don't evaluate yourself like well, I wasn't a bad, as bad a sinner as you. You're not going to forgive people walking like that. You're going to, you're going to take offense by what people say. Because you're putting yourself in a position higher than them. And therefore, you're going to wind up in a position of unforgiveness or in a position that you're going to get offended by what they say. Now listen, we were all on the same level as sinners. God didn't put one above the other or below the other. We just need to realize, thank God, we're forgiven in Jesus' name. First Corinthians 13... Come on, the love chapter, verse 4, love just suffers for a while. What does it do? What does it do? Suffers long. And it is kind. And it does not envy. It does not parade itself. And it is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in inequity. So rejoicing in inequity is rejoicing when bad things happen to other people that have hurt you. That's not what love does. Love doesn't rejoice. Yeah, they deserved it. Bless God, they got what they deserved. Now let me help you. Every one of us, because of mercy, if you're born again, are not going to get what you deserve. Love doesn't rejoice in inequity. What What does love rejoice in? Truth. It bears... All things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never what? Never. So, number eight, obviously, if you don't want to get your feelings there, guess what you need to do? Walk by love no matter what. Choose love. Choose love. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. Some good verses tonight about what to do when your feelings get hurt. Because if you start living this out, guess what? Your feelings aren't going to get hurt. You're going to learn to not be ruled by your feelings. Number nine, Ephesians 4, number nine on your notes, watch your mouth and your heart. Tell somebody, that one's just for me right there. Praise God. Because it is. It's for all of us. I said, tell somebody, watch that one right there. there. That one's for me. Watch your mouth and your heart. Ephesians 4, verse 29, 29 through 32. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Yes, right. Amen. What are we learning tonight? How not to be offended. What, what, we're, uh, what to do when your feelings are hurt. But if you do these things, guess what? You won't allow your feelings to get hurt. Don't let corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. Meaning, what? Don't get to the place where your feelings are hurt and you say things you shouldn't say. But what is good, what comes out of your mouth is to be good for necessary edification, that it may impart what? Grace to the hearers. The phrase there is that your words should be a gift to one another. Amen. 30, do not grieve and do not and, tied to what he just said, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In relationship to this context, how do you grieve him? Wrong words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Yeah. Number 9 on your notes, 9a, verse 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Quit saying things you shouldn't say. 9B, do not insult the Holy Spirit. Do not insult the Holy Spirit just because someone insulted you. That is really good. Because just because someone insulted you, what should not come out of your mouth? Corrupt communication. Your word should be a gift back to them. If not, guess what you're doing? You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Just because somebody insulted you, you should not be insulting the Holy Spirit in response to what they said. 9C, allow no hurt feelings to grow into what is known as a root of bitterness. 9D, be kind to everyone and what? Forgiving. Hebrews 12. Come on, we'll we'll just make this our last set of verses tonight because the Jude verse we can refer to, you'll all know. Hebrews 12, a root of bitterness, though, we need to address. See, if you don't get your feelings hurt, you can't get a root of bitterness in you. If your feelings are hurt, a root of bitterness can begin. And unforgiveness is almost always, therefore, the uh, issue going on there because you've allowed that offense to take root in your heart. Hebrews 12, 14. If you're there, say amen. Pursue peace with all people. Again, that doesn't mean you'll always get it, but pursue it. Pursue peace with all people and... Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up is going to do what? Cause trouble. Watch this. And by this, many become defiled. A root of bitterness will simply defile your life or hurt your life and others. Number 10 on your notes, your root of bitterness could cause others to be what? Defiled. So don't allow root of bitterness. How do you not allow root of bitterness? If you can stop getting so offended and your feelings hurt, you're not going to have a problem with it. But if you still allow that, you better make sure you forgive so you can deal with it or you're going to wind up with a root of bitterness. I would suggest right now, before you leave here tonight, if you have any such thing going on with anybody, you better deal with it and say, Lord, I release them and I forgive them. Because otherwise, I'm just allowing the torturers to affect me. And that root of bitterness, if you don't know it, is going to totally stifle your faith. You're going to totally stifle your faith. The last one is in Jude, it's verse 20. It's only one chapter. How many know what it says there? Jude, verse 20. Building yourselves up on your most... Holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit. What should you be doing? You ought to be building yourself up in the Holy Spirit. That would certainly help you to not allow your feelings to get hurt so much because you're going to become stronger spiritually. Amen? Yeah. Tell your neighbor, just hold your notes up, at him like this right here. Tell your neighbor, say, I needed this tonight right here. I needed, I needed to hear that. <laughs> we all did. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. We should be able to live this life without getting our feelings hurt. Jesus did and so can we. Yeah. And realize these are some powerful truths that if you'll apply them, you'll be able to walk out in your life. The greatest thing I could say in relationship to this whole thing is that you got to learn to be this instant forgiver. People are going to open their mouth and say stuff they shouldn't say. It's going to happen. And in the case of most of us, it's going to happen daily. You don't have to. Every time they say something dumb or stupid that hurts your feelings. By the way, not everything said to you is intended to hurt your feelings. Sometimes we just take it that way. If you're constantly doing that, you need to get more secure in your relationship with God because you are not finding your value and worth in God. You're finding your value and worth in what people say about you or how people say things to you.